Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, evolving methods of providing legal service, and law practice issues. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I'll be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held business, tax, trusts and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Today's episode focuses on well-being. I've been at multiple meetings recently for business clients and associations where well-being, especially since the pandemic, is noted as an issue and that solutions and support is being sought. My guest today is Heidi Alexander, Director of Wellbeing at the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. I noted a statement on Heidi's LinkedIn profile that says, my mission is to help all Massachusetts lawyers attain greater success in achieving a healthy, positive, and productive, productive balance of work, personal life, and health. And I know that your mission actually, and you reach a lot of lawyers other than Massachusetts lawyers, that just happens to be where you work. But I have to mention that I got to know Heidi through the American Bar Association. And I don't remember exactly when or where we met, but I do recall that we got up in the wee early hours to attend a spin class in Chicago with a group of people. And it was one of the things that just sort of created a little bit of a connection. Well, Heidi, thanks so much for being with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. Always fun to chat with you. And I just to kind of set um, you know, it's you have a personal commitment to wellness that you're passionate about. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I'm someone who has been active my entire life. Uh, I was a, an athlete as I was uh, younger and, uh, and played uh, collegiate uh, sport. I was an ice hockey player. And from there, after having my kids, I transitioned into uh, a, a few other sports, CrossFit, and now I'm a competitive power lifter. Uh, I coach as well, and so uh, that's a that's a big part of who I am. Um, I have also gotten into because of my role. I've gotten into mindfulness and meditation. Uh, you know, just we, and we can talk about that later. But in terms of the the research around that, um, I also serve on a, uh, a 
a board, which is the National Alliance uh, on Mental Illness, NAMI, uh, NAMI Massachusetts. And it's an organization that provides mental health services and uh, advocacy, uh, both for individuals and their family members. Um, and I personally am, so am someone who has uh, mental health challenges, including depression and anxiety, and, uh, and also have family members who have struggled from uh, more severe uh, mental health challenges. So I, I understand this, this world that we live in, and I know that many people suffer from mental health challenges, and I think that you know, the idea of well-being is important, and it's something that we have to strive for every single day. So that's a little bit about me and how I come to this. And, and thanks for sharing that. And you've taken that passion. I was just listening to all that you do. You have a day job, you have kids, you serve on these boards. You're like, I'm going, wow. So I thought I was high energy, but that's one of the things I love about you. But you've kind of come in the legal profession and have developed a, a rather unique role in supporting lawyers. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and how it came about? Yeah. So I, I am a lawyer by training. I started as a a law clerk and then I did practice and I learned in practice that I was not a litigator and what I became actually more interested in was sort of the the bigger picture the sort of delivery of legal services and I had a more of a focus on an interest in technology and the efficiency of practice through management of practice. Um, I also, as a practitioner, witnessed the stress of the profession um, on myself and others. And so that actually led me to our state's lawyer assistance program, uh, Massachusetts Lawyers Concern for Lawyers, which is an organization that helps attorneys uh, in all different ways. And so I started work at the lawyer assistance program. I focused both on practice management and also sort of piecing together our clinical services with our practice management services so that we're really serving the whole attorney. Because if you're struggling in your personal life, right, then that is going to be reflected in your practice and vice versa. And so there was a lot of carryover. We would sit in meetings. Uh, We'd have team meetings where I would sit with a clinician and also a um, uh, and also a, a client, and so we would help with sort of both uh, pieces there. So. Um, by doing that work, I became very involved in this idea of well-being in the profession. And, um, and so that led me to my current role. And so my current role is as the director of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court Standing Committee on Lawyer Well-Being. <laughs> it's a long one. So and the way that that committee was formed um, was through a, a lot, sort of a history of, um, of efforts in this country around uh, well-being in the profession. And so um, if we kind of look back, go all the way back to about like the 70s, there were a number of these lawyer assistance programs that were popping up all over the country. And um, some of them were just basically just attorneys coming together who had suffered some, from uh, substance use issues and wanted kind of a safe space to to be able to have that support um, and and then 
beyond that, um, there's sort of this realization that there are other issues within the profession. And, um, and in 2016, there was some seminal research that was conducted uh, by Hazleton and the American Bar Association and other stakeholders. And what they found is that attorneys were suffering at higher rates of depression, anxiety, stress, and substance use. And so from that, there was a national um, uh, national uh, state uh, task force on well-being, which published this uh, this report, which was the uh, national task force report on lawyer well-being, with a ton of recommendations across the the industry. And one of those recommendations was actually to create these state-specific task forces. And so many of the states have now created their own task forces. And ours was created by our late Chief Justice um, in 2019. And, um, and when that was created, it became this committee and it did a lot of work over the course of a year, came out with this publication, which was about 150 pages, specific to Massachusetts. What can we do in Massachusetts to improve uh, lawyer well-being? And then the, the, the final point here, and so that's, that's sort of how I, I got involved in this work and, and where my work comes from. Uh, but then in terms of on the, the national level, the national ta task force actually has now since become the Institute for Well-Being in Law as its own 501c3 organization to really help support and, and these efforts and drive some of the, the leadership uh, around well-being across the nation. So that's a little bit of the history there. And I just wanted to go back, like you mentioned NAMI, and there's a lot of great organizations. We have one in Omaha, Nebraska called the Kim Foundation. But I'll tell you, part of the reason I wanted to do this particular podcast today is that, as you know, I've been an advocate for well-being for a long time as well. And I started sharing, NAMI puts out really good stuff. I follow them on LinkedIn. And so some of the stuff that you see is like, oh, come on. But their information is really solid. It's well-researched. It's well-supported. It's by those who really know their stuff professionally. And I, so I started sharing some of their posts. And I started getting emails from people all over the country about, thank you that an established lawyer will speak out on the wellness and the profession issues. So that's why I really appreciate and just wanted to share that you know i think a lot of nami can you speak heidi to some of the initiatives you are working on that are really going to offer some well-being in the legal industry and you know and i think it affects other industries as well but that's particularly where you work mm -hmm. yeah and and i really appreciate what what you just said because a big part of our work, our work at the local level and the national level is this idea of reducing stigma so that people can actually get the help. So at the, you know, when we talked, you, you asked me about how I come to this work, you know, I, I specifically talk about myself because for that purpose to help reduce the stigma. And so what we are now starting to actually see, and this is part of the work that we're doing is 
to have leaders come out and talk about how they've struggled and encountered obstacles because everyone encounters some sort of obstacle. And by the way, that's okay. And it's okay to seek out help. Um, and so that's a big part of what we're doing is sort of increasing awareness of these problems in the profession and then um, encouraging people to get help when they need help. But the way I see it is that there's two, two parts of, of the work that we're doing, uh, whether it's national, whether it's local, uh, in terms of well-being. There's the macro level work, which is really focused on organizational culture and policy change. And then there's the micro level work, which I see as sort of individual uh, well-being. And so you've got to have both of those pieces together. So, and what I mean about that is the individual side of well-being is learning and practicing self-care. It's setting boundaries. It's taking breaks. It's getting education and training. It's learning how to better manage your practice. It's practicing mindfulness. It's learning how to manage stress and it's getting help when you need it, right? That's really important. Um, and we have to train attorneys to do that. And by the way, we haven't been training them in law school to do that and we have to start. So that's part of the work we're doing. Um, but then the other side of the equation is the inherent problems in our profession and in legal education. And so we've got to have that sort of organization, culture, policy changes to actually make this systemic uh, impact. And so what we're doing on a state level is we have a committee of about 18 people and they all represent different sectors. So from public service to legal education, to big law, to solo practitioners, um, we've got regulators, we've got the st our state lawyer assistance program. And so we are working on uh, initiatives in all those sectors. Um, and so some of the projects that we've worked on this past year include establishing, establishing a statewide mentorship program, because what we found was that mentorship actually has a big impact on well-being, um, especially if you're a new attorney and you don't, you don't know how to practice, um, and, or if you're an attorney who is going into court and maybe you're being bullied by someone, or, you know, it, there, there's so many different reasons why. So it, mentorship, we established this mentorship program. We are working on management training because one of the things we know is that um, poor management can also lead to uh, can impact the well-being of the of the the people that are working under you. And so many times, what we see um, at firms is that uh, and organizations is that people will just move up into a managerial position without any training, any management experience, right? And so they've got to provide that management, uh, that management training and experience. So that's part of what we're working on as well. Um, we're also focused on financial support because we know that attorneys come out uh, in, you know, with huge debt, right? Uh, because of student loans and particularly the attorneys who um, are doing public service work, um, who are taking on appointed uh, cases as um, uh, criminal defense attorneys. And so we're looking into how can we help support through financial coaching, um, through uh, education, how can we help support these attorneys who have tons and tons of student loans. We're also working on programs to connect people who are working on the well-being 
of, let's say, you know, within their organizations, whether it's a firm, whether it's a public agency, uh, whether it's in law school and connecting those people so that we can share ideas, we can share resources. And we, so we have this lawyer well-being network that meets um, on a every other month basis. And we, we talk about some of the issues we have people, we highlight uh, some of the work that people are doing. Um, we have also created uh, some toolkits for our uh, bar associations, specifically our county bar associations. So what that's all about is again, trying to increase awareness of these issues and bring these issues of well-being uh, and programming uh, across uh, across Massachusetts. Um, and then um, in addition, we're working with law schools and actually we just came out uh, yesterday with two law school toolkits, one for uh, law students and one for faculty staff and uh, administrators on how to support uh, law student well-being. And so we try to sort of work you know at it in an innovative way. Um, to kind of think through and, and, you know, sometimes push the boundaries in terms of what people are used to um, thinking about in terms of, you know, here's the culture, this is, you know, this is how it's always been. And we're kind of tr pushing the boundaries to say, no, we can, you know, we, we can make changes. Yeah, we can think about law firm structures differently, right? For a whole lot exactly. of reasons, in addition to well-being. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. So we've had this, this has all been going on before, as I understand it, all these rising rates of depression and suicide in the law profession preceded the pandemic, but the pandemic came along. And in some ways, maybe a positive thing that'll come out of it, it really brought more attention to this issue and the profession. How do you think that COVID is going to impact the legal profession and how are attorneys doing? Yeah. So I, I'm going to take the, the latter half of that question first um, in terms of how attorneys are doing, because I think, um, I think there's some positives and and negatives uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the legal industry uh, and COVID. Um, in terms of how attorneys are doing, so it's interesting. We do actually have some recent data on this. So um, Patrick Krill, who had a who had this seminal study in 2016, followed it up by another study, a very recent study, um, and unfortunately, that study uh, did not sh demonstrate that we are doing any better as a profession. Um, in fact, it found some specific uh, some specific issues in terms of 
of demographics. So um, what he found was that one in four lawyer, uh, women lawyers are actually thinking about leaving the profession due to mental health issues, um, stress or burnout. Um, and then there is another ABA study that was done recently that found that large numbers of women are considering an exodus from the profession due specifically to the pandemic. Um, and then um, in addition, um, and this was the same, same ABA study, they found that 47% of lawyers of color feel at least some stress on account of their race or ethnicity compared to only 7% of, um, of white lawyers. Um, and then there's a, a couple other recent studies. There was a study that was actually done in Utah of, uh, of attorneys, and this was a very depressing study. What they found was that lawyers in Utah are 8.5 times more likely to report thoughts of being better off dead or hurting themselves as compared to the general working population. Um, so that's, that is very high. And then the International Bar Association did a, a study as well, and they found that 41% of lawyers say that they cannot discuss well-being issues with their employer without worrying that it will damage their career or livelihood. So again, like this issue of, of stigma. Okay. So, um, so how are we doing? Uh, you know, I would say we're as a profession, um, it's, 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 it's a challenge right now. And um, we've been talking to a bunch of our committee members. We've been talking to people in the community and we know people are suffering from burnout right now. We know it's, it's a huge, huge problem. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of the impact, um, sort of the mental health impact on co uh, from COVID, it's definitely taken a toll. Um, but I do think that there's some positive things um, that we can take away from COVID. You know, things like if you, you know, think about your interaction with the courts, right? Um, I can tell you that in Massachusetts, you know, we didn't even have um, state electronic filing system, okay? You couldn't do a hearing via Zoom, right? So, you know, there, there are some positive things, I think, that have resulted resulted from this. Um, obviously, the, you know, the ability to, to work remotely. I mean, you know, you and I were talking about this, you know, probably for years, right, the ability to have a virtual practice to work remotely. Um, well, now, I think people realize, okay, we can actually do this. And in fact, maybe we can even be more productive doing it. So I think there are things that we need to think about, you know, in terms of the positives and, um, and how we can apply that to, to actually move forward in the, in the future. Well, I want to just comment on one thing that you mentioned. I think part of this concept of the stigma that's related to mental health issue is that a lot of people think mental health issue means, hey, you're crazy and you're like, you know, a schizophrenic or something like that, instead of realizing that mental health issue just means, look, I have a sufficient level of stress that is impacting my daily life. This doesn't mean like I'm off the deep end. You know, it's like all of us, I think, through the pandemic, if you were telling yourself you were doing great, I think you're potentially in denial, right? It's like, <laughs> I, I can tell you that that was the busiest we were ever. And by the end of that year, I was like, wow, is finding uh, irritability at an all new level, which, you know, so I, I just think part of the stigma comes from mental health and wellness isn't about, hey, you know, if you have a mental health issue, it doesn't mean you need to be in a facility on 
you know, major psychotropic drugs or whatever the, I, I don't think that's the right category, but, you know, some kind of treatment so it can be, hey, stress and these things are just interfering with my life and which interferes. And I read a kind of a study that said, hey, when you're in a really good space, this is the way you function, but under you know a certain level of stress, then this positive attitude that you have becomes you know less positive, and then the next level becomes almost aggressive. And but mental health can be that simple as opposed to hey, you need to be locked up in a facility. And I just think that's important in getting through the stigma when we talk about mental health and wellness. Well, let's let's shift a little bit to some solutions because we shared some really depressing statistics, and those certainly are. I'm going to report as I'm listening to you today, Heidi, I'm really grateful for what I have in my life because I'm a happy lawyer who loves what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I have gratitude. You know, my clients, I have a relational practice, so you know, some of my biggest life supporters are also clients of mine, and I just can't tell you how grateful because I know how many, and that's part of my passion for trying to reach out to others and help them find practices and lifestyles that keep them in the profession. So do you have some thoughts on like, what would it look like if we said, what could really improve well-being in the legal industry? Yeah. So I, I think, um, I mean, first and, and foremost, when we think about, um, you know, moving, I can't really say beyond COVID because it, we're still in a pandemic, but um, as we sort of move forward as a, as a profession is to sort of, you know, re, rethink some of the, the norms of the profession, you know, rethinking this idea of a, what is it, what is a, a traditional workplace and what can workplaces look like? Because a lot of this has to do with the uh, the culture, right? The the culture of the organization that you um, that you work in, and so well, one of the things that um, our committee recently did is we came out with this uh, statement on the post pandemic workplace. We probably shouldn't have called it post pandemic, but um, it it is a statement on workplace culture, and the um, the idea behind it is really to. Um, to rethink and sort of reimagine the um, the the workplace, um, because you know pre-pandemic, when we thought about or when people would request, you know, I, you know, I need a flexible workplace or remote work, oftentimes that was um, stigmatized, uh, you know, as you're like a working parent or you know, or you've got some other you know some other challenge. Uh, and so um, oftentimes attorneys who were actually in uh, these types of arrangements um, and, and needed to, you know, accommodate for certain issues. Um, and, and oftentimes it's people who are, are, are underrepresented in the profession. Um, and what, what's happened now is that we're kind of, we're again, starting to rethink, you know, what the legal workplace can look like. And so I really think that this is an opportunity to start shifting um, that and the thinking of more of a, uh, a flexible workplace. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is also thinking about, um, you know, the uh, hiring structures and, um, and compensation structures and how to support 
um, people who have been sort of underrepresented in the um, in the profession and developing them into leaders so that we can be a more diverse profession. And oftentimes that means we may reflect actually the demographics of the people we're serving. I mean, we certainly have that issue here in Massachusetts, where we have, you know, our public defenders and our criminal defense attorneys, you know, are, are mostly white attorneys and they're serving, you know, people of color. And so, um, so I think that's, that's, that's definitely part of it. And it sort of goes to this idea of increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in the profession. Um, I think, you know, we also need to demonstrate uh, well-being and a commitment to well-being from the top, you know, from leaders at firms, right? Demonstrating to staff, demonstrating to clients. And so part of what that means is that people at the top, they take time off, right? Um, they actually take a vacation, right? <laughs> Serving as a role model. Um, they talk about their own well-being, right? They talk about their struggles um, and they listen to the concerns of the people who are working for them. Um, and, and, and by listening to concerns, I think that also, you know, I think leads into like transparency, you know, being transparent in terms of uh, what, you know, what the organization is thinking about. I mean, we heard so many stories of people feeling so anxious about what their workplace was going to look like. What are they going to do? Are they going to lay people off? Um, are we going to have to come back into the office? And I think a lot of it just has to do with sort of these unknowns and they're not hearing from their, um, their employer as to, uh, as to what's happening. So I think increase of uh, communication. Um, and I think, you know, in addition, we've seen uh, a lot of the big firms offering a lot of these like well-being benefits, um, you know, yoga programs and uh, meditation. Um, but I think, you know, in addition to that, like they've also got to be tackling like the difficult stuff. <laughs> um, and, and that's really thinking about like management and leadership and um, you know, things like cultural competency and, you know, how to be an upstander and call out microaggressions. Um, and again, like training managers to be attentive to their to the people who are there supervising and their well-being, um, because oftentimes we see like people sort of treating uh, their their supervisees as they were treated. Right. And sort of perpetuating this um, this cycle. And so I think you know, there's a lot, a lot of ways we can do this. Um, I do think that there's a lot of focus on, uh, on leadership. Um, and, uh, and we're seeing at some of the bigger firms, people moving into directors of well-being, um, even at like the highest level, the sort of C-suite level, which is great. So they actually have um, authority to, to make, uh, to make decisions. But um, but yes, there's a, there's definitely a lot, <laughs> a lot to be done, but I would say let's, you know, let's think innovatively, you know, let's think about how we can actually make change as opposed to just kind of continuing on with the status quo. And I know we've at our firm been really pleased with what we call culture. And I think a lot of lawyers don't realize how much culture does vary from firm to firm and will join a firm. I know that at one point. I went through three law firms and I thought I hated being a lawyer when I realized it was really the culture of the law firms that weren't right for me. So we've actually, and we have a podcast 
done by Pam Hernandez, where she talks about culture. She actually came in and did a cultural assessment for us and has been working in that area as well as the leadership issues. We are running at the end of our time, so I just want to ask one last question, and that is, I know there's a lot of resources out there, but if you're either a law firm or a lawyer that's kind of looking for a resource to better understand paths to well-being without, because I think a lot of people leave the profession because they can't find an answer, so what are the resources that could help them? Yeah, so one is definitely the new Institute for Wellbeing in Law. So that's the new 501c3 that came out of the National uh, Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing. And that I'm on the, the board of that organization, and we are really just getting started in terms of all of the different offerings. But um, it's a great place. There's lots of resources, including information about the state task forces. So like I said before, Many of the states have a state task force, and so I would encourage people to, you know, look into what their state task force is doing. Uh, there's a lot of them that have actually come out with a report and recommendations uh, that are that are really helpful um, and sort of help help guide what's uh, what's happening. Also, the lawyer assistance programs are are all fantastic resources and provide the actual direct um, direct services. And um, and also feel free to. Feel free to contact me. Look at what our committee is doing. We are um, trying to kind of make make waves here uh, in terms of this work, and again, kind of push the push the envelope uh, in order to to really make change. So, well, Heidi, thanks for being here today, and, and thanks for your very obvious passion about a really important subject. As we get to the end of our show, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. A Huda Media Production.